everyone, and welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility potential. I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles, and today I'm wishing you all a very happy new year with an episode dedicated to creating your preconception plan in 2024. I was messaging with so many of you over the new year holiday because we were making our vision boards. I know I was making my vision board. And so many of you had a healthy pregnancy and baby on your 2022 list of goals. So I thought it would be fun to talk about the amazing things that we can do to prepare ourselves for pregnancy this year. And this is a common question I get. I think it's helpful to talk about if you're starting the new year and thinking, okay, I think I want to have a baby this year. It's only January. There's plenty of time. What should I do first? It's difficult to choose an entry point when you first decide that you're ready to conceive. What are we going to do first? And one of the first things I'll ask is, have you done your annual wellness exam with your primary care doctor this year? Many of us haven't had just our regular old physical, just an annual wellness examination in maybe a couple years. And I'll actually call this out because I think we're guilty of this a little bit in the fertility world. We have patients who are doing all of this specialty testing. They're doing all of this imaging, but maybe haven't done just a standard physical exam in a while. And this is really important because this is where your doctor is going to feel your thyroid, listen to your heart, check your skin, do your pap smear to make sure that your cervix is healthy. And complete a lot of the screening for chronic disease that will really impact our health, our longevity, and our fertility. Remember, and I say this a lot, but when we focus on our preconception health, it's about preparing to conceive, yes. It's about having a healthy pregnancy, feeling great postpartum, reducing the risk for chronic disease 20 years down the road, and cultivating transgenerational health for your grandchildren and beyond. So I am absolutely a believer in preconception care, and I I work with patients to extensively support all of their body systems preconception, but we can't underestimate doing our health maintenance and doing screening for chronic disease because that is how we are going to cultivate longevity in our health. I know a common concern is that you might go to your primary care doctor and they only do a basic lab panel at that annual exam. But let me just reframe this for a moment because this is an opportunity to have your doctor order things like a complete blood count and a comprehensive metabolic panel, a lipid panel, at least a TSH, to get some of these basic health metrics and biomarkers that will shine a light on areas that might need more exploration if you end up working with someone like me who tends to utilize labs to a greater degree. The reason why I encourage you to do this is because labs at that annual exam tend to be really well covered by insurance. Use the benefits that you have available to you, and then when you're working with someone like me, we'll either order them for you if you weren't able to get them, or we'll fill in any gaps in your lab evaluation. So take advantage of the resources that are available to you and do your health maintenance. Once you've done your regular annual wellness exam with your primary care doctor, let's take this a step further and also have you go to the dentist. I'm actually a firm believer and proponent of the dentist as a primary care provider. There are so many fertility implications on our oral health, so this should actually be part of your annual wellness maintenance health promotion as well. 
We know that gum disease is associated with conditions like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and preterm labor in pregnant women. And more recently, we have evidence that's showing us that it has some pretty significant fertility implications. So let me break this down and show you how these things are related. Super interesting. Lots of emerging literature if you want to go and research this. The mouth is full of bacteria. It's that way by design. That's how it is normally. It has a microbiome just like other places in our body. Our gut has a microbiome, the vagina, the skin, and our mouth has a microbiome as well. This delicate microbial balance can be compromised and we can get infections in our gums just like we can get infections in our gut or in the vaginal canal. Interestingly, if you think about it, our mouths are also full of blood vessels, which makes them a very convenient access point for bacteria or bacterial products to enter our circulation. This can then cause systemic inflammation that affects the organs and the blood vessels throughout the entire body, including the uterus. So maybe you've heard about this before. I think it's a little bit more well-known, the connection between gum disease and heart disease. But that systemic inflammation, it doesn't, um, doesn't have a lot of discretion, so it can travel to the uterus as well. And we might see something like impaired endometrial receptivity, right, if the uterus is inflamed. Another interesting piece here is that studies of uterine infections have shown high concentrations of bacteria that is not present in the vaginal flora, but it is present in the oral cavity. because instinctively, we would think, oh, if there's an infection in the uterus, it must have come because bacteria ascended from the vaginal canal and caused this uterine infection. But we're seeing that those pathogens are actually not in the vagina, but they are present in the oral cavity. So there seems to be some oral systemic communication happening. Additionally, Infections of the placenta have been traced back to bacteria that's found in the gingival plaque of the mother. So I'm just building this case for doing our dental health screening. And I'll even take it a step further. This is very interesting that the gums, the gums have receptors for sex hormones, sex hormones being things like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. If you've ever been pregnant, maybe you noticed that your gums bled more easily when you were brushing because hormones like estrogen can make the gums a little bit more fragile and a little bit more permeable, meaning they have an even easier access to the bloodstream. If you have existing gum disease, these hormonal changes can be even more significant. So there's lots at play here, which I think is why a functional medicine approach is so powerful and so well-suited to supporting fertility because we're thinking about all these things. And by the way, this is a really important topic for men too, because about a third of male infertility cases are idiopathic, meaning we don't really know, can't figure it out. But we have some research dating back even to the 1980s that's looking at poor dental health as a contributor to male factor infertility. And if you're listening to this and you've been dealing with male fertility issues, I want you to ask yourself if anybody's ever told you to go to the dentist, because I think this is an underutilized recommendation. Gingivitis and periodontal disease seem to have a really significant effect both on the quantity and the quality of semen. And there are studies from the IVF setting 
showing this correlation between periodontal disease and poor sperm motility, meaning the sperm are not as good at swimming in a forward motion. And several studies also note a relationship between periodontal disease and lower sperm count. And while this part is still a little, a little controversial, some studies from the 90s reported an association between bacterial infections in the oral cavity and the presence of those same bacteria in sperm samples, which impacted sperm quality. So similar to how we saw bacteria from gingival plaque in the placenta, these research noticed similar bacteria in the oral cavity and in sperm samples. Other studies from the, you know, around 2010 didn't find this relationship, but I still feel aware of this possibility because we know that there is an oral systemic relationship. It makes sense to me that if anybody is struggling with their sperm parameters, that we would do an investigation into their dental health. Anytime we have an infection, we also think about what's going on with inflammation. And pathogenic invasion of the oral mucosa can result in widespread in inflammation. And just like how we talked about that inflammation can, can be present in the endometrium or in the ovaries, we see that inflammatory chemicals can also alter the blood testes barrier. And that can contribute to testicular dysfunction, which, you know, the testicles are producing sperm, they're producing hormones. So it's definitely something to be aware of. And many of you have asked about locating a good dentist if you want someone who is going to be more holistic, a biological dentist. I like to search the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Their website is iaomt.org. I found my amazing dentist there. They have locations. I mean, when you search for a provider, there's providers all over the place. So I'm hoping that you can find someone near you. But that is a great resource to find a dentist who will be more functional medicine oriented. So you're going to do your physical exam. You're going to get to the dentist. And then I think as part of that, we should get you on a high quality prenatal vitamin. And as you can imagine, over the years, I have tried so many prenatal vitamins. My first pregnancy was in 2014. So over the last decade, I've been pregnant, I've been nursing, I've been taking pre prenatal vitamins myself and recommending them to almost every patient I see. It's really important to me that I use and recommend products that are effective, they're safe, they're made with integrity. And if you've been following my Instagram for very long, then you're not going to be surprised to hear that my preferred prenatal vitamin is from Needed. Needed is actually the, the podcast sponsor this month and so grateful that they have facilitated the sharing of this information. And I've recently partnered with them to build awareness around high quality prenatal supplements. I love and adore the Needed supplements because I know that I can trust the ingredients. They've clearly been formulated with real moms and moms to be in mind. They have done their research. They are formulated with therapeutic doses. I've been taking the prenatal vitamins, the egg quality support, and the sleep support, which is pregnancy safe, by the way. Not true for a lot of sleep products, but this one can be taken during pregnancy. And one of my favorite features of the needed products specifically is that they have a prenatal multi, which is available in, in capsules, but then you can also get the multivitamin in a vanilla powder. 
And this is perfect for nauseous moms, if you're early in pregnancy and everything sounds disgusting, if you have pill fatigue, this would have been so helpful for me when I was pregnant and nauseous and feeling guilty about not taking my prenatal vitamin. You can mix it into a smoothie. You can mix it into a warm beverage. It's actually a nice flavor. It's this vanilla powder. I think it's the taste is actually nice. And it's not just me who loves this prenatal. Needed is actually recommended by a collection of more than 4,000 doctors, midwives, doulas, nutritionists, and they're proud to be the first perinatal nutrition company that is B Corp and climate neutral certified. So if you care about your ingredients, you care about your planet, you care about sustainability, this is a product that you can feel good about using. If you'd like to add Needed to your prenatal wellness routine, you can head over to thisisneeded.com and use code FUNCTIONALFERTILITY for 20% off your order. That's thisisneeded.com and use code FUNCTIONALFERTILITY for 20% off your order. You'll also find male fertility supplements there. You'll find sleep support there. I recommend these products to all of my patients and utilize the entire line. We'll talk more about products in upcoming podcast episodes, but that is my preferred prenatal. It is the one I am personally taking. These are the supplements I have my husband taking. I feel very strongly about this brand. So one of the most common questions I get, what prenatal? And there's your answer. I am about needed all the way. So now we have done our physical examination. We've gone to the dentist. We are on a high quality prenatal vitamin. Now maybe we want to take a deeper dive and do a preconception lab work that looks outside of the things that maybe our primary care doc captured at our annual wellness exam. So on last week's podcast, I read a list of labs that I typically include in my preconception lab testing. And a lot of people sent me a message on Instagram and said, will you do the list again, but maybe say a sentence or two about why you look at these things? So we're going to do a quick recap of some of the, the the key items on a preconception lab test. Now, just as a reminder, if you are worried about remembering all these things, or maybe you're listening to the podcast while you're driving and you don't want to write it all down, this list is on my website. You can go to drkaliawaddles.com and you can download my preconception lab checklist. It won't necessarily, it doesn't have all these descriptions of what the labs are, but it is a checklist form that you can bring. You can talk to your doctor about it and you can check these off and get these ordered. If you do need more information, I do have a functional fertility laboratory guide that is coming out and it's also included in my upcoming online program, the functional fertility blueprint. So we can talk about how to access that. If you feel like you need a little bit more of a solid resource uh, as you're evaluating maybe labs that you've already had done. So let's talk about what's on this preconception lab list. Last week, we talked about markers of ovarian reserve. So these are the labs that are going to be specific to cycle day three. We are looking at estradiol, follicle-stimulating hormone, and anti-malarian hormone on cycle day three. And that is going to tell us about your ovarian reserve, which is the pool or the cohort of oocytes or egg cells that is available in that cycle. I also measure luteinizing hormone at this point because remember I like to look at FSH and LH 
together so that I can look at a ratio. I like to see those. We talked about this last week, but in case you need a recap, I like to see FSH and LH to be roughly a one-to-one ratio. And when we see that luteinizing hormone is twice what FSH is, then we have a, a higher index of suspicion for PCOS. But estradiol, FSH, LH, and AMH, I'm always going to measure on cycle day three. Probably just because you're going to the lab, I'm going to do some of these other ones on cycle day three as well. So we also will measure DHEA sulfate and testosterone. These are what we call androgen hormones. Sometimes when you read about them on the internet, they're called male hormones. Androgen hormones are male hormones, but of course, women have testosterone as well. So androgen hormones play a really important role in egg cell maturation and energy production. So let's say someone has a short luteal phase or they have progesterone that drops off very quickly in their luteal phase. So maybe their luteal phase is only nine or 10 days long. I'm really wondering about DHEA sulfate because DHEA is plays an important role in egg cell maturation. And remember that we have our follicle, right, that is made of granulosa cells and theca cells, and the follicle is the egg sac where our egg cell is swimming. And then we are going to ovulate. That egg cell is going to burst from the follicle, and that follicle is going to become a structure called the corpus luteum, which is going to pump out progesterone. And so when we have a low progesterone, I want to know what affected the health of that follicle? Why did that follicle Um, Why was it not robust in its progesterone production? And maybe it's because DHEA was low. And so the maturation of that follicle was affected. So I like to measure DHEA sulfate in the blood. And if it's low, then we can give some DHEA, which actually there's some extra additional research that it can kind of rescue oocytes from the aging process. It can really help to support mitochondrial energy production within the oocyte. And if you've been following me for very long, you know that I am obsessed with mitochondria and that mitochondrial function is one of the primary factors that leads to a successful ovulation, fertilization, implantation, and a healthy pregnancy. So these are some things that we can measure and we can act on them if they're low. I also measure prolactin, and this is an important hormone that comes from the brain, and it can actually interfere with ovulation at high levels. So if you're someone who has an anovulatory pattern to your cycles, meaning you're not ovulating regularly, We want to measure prolactin. It can interfere with the communication between the brain and the ovaries. So this is very important to measure. Sometimes this will come back mildly elevated, and I'll just make a connection here that the most common reason in just a primary care setting that I see a mildly elevated prolactin is due to hypothyroidism. So when we have low thyroid function, we can see that our prolactin uh, may elevate a little bit. So We're going to measure thyroid hormone too, but I always want to pair those two together because it helps me to tell a more complete story. Next on my list, I'm going to highlight homocysteine and B12. These markers can help us to understand the body's methylation status, which is an important pathway in female fertility. So we measure homocysteine. It also gives us a little bit of an idea about inflammation. And then we measure B12. Vitamin B12 holds a significance in fertility, which really speaks to its multifaceted role in 
lots of reproductive processes and overall health. It plays a role in DNA synthesis, in cell division, nervous system function. These are all essential for healthy egg development, fertilization, implantation. These things are fairly easy to measure, right? And so we know that we can replete B12 if we need to. And if homocysteine is elevated, we can go looking into that a little deeper. Do we need some more B vitamins? What do we need to do to support methylation and and we want we want to be mindful of homocysteine because when it is elevated it can actually create somewhat of a toxic environment for a developing egg. These things are are fairly easy to measure and gives us some insight into how we can support that egg cell maturation process. The next thing I'm going to highlight is a full thyroid panel and I, I'll say that on Instagram like oh we need to do a full thyroid panel and people say what does that mean? So for me this means at minimum a TSH, which is a thyroid stimulating hormone, free T4, free T3, and thyroid antibodies. In some cases, I'll also add a reverse T3. And this helps us to look at how the brain and the thyroid are communicating and then how our thyroid gland is responding to the brain signals to produce thyroid hormone. Because remember that thyroid stimulating hormone, or TSH, that is the signal from the brain telling the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. That doesn't tell us necessarily how the thyroid is responding. So the TSH is going to go from the brain to the thyroid gland and tell the thyroid to make thyroid hormone. In response, the thyroid gland should make T4, which is the more abundant but less potent thyroid hormone, and T3, which is the less abundant but more potent thyroid hormone. Those hormones then go back to the brain, tell the brain, well done, the thyroid gland is adequately responding, and that will keep our thyroid hormone, our thyroid stimulating hormone, at an adequate level. So I like to see TSH like around up two for a fertility patient. I don't want it to get above four. I like to see it around two. And as it's creeping up, so maybe it's three and then it's four and then maybe it's higher, that is telling us it is having to yell louder and louder at the thyroid gland to make hormone. And sometimes our thyroid um, is not responding in a way that is producing enough thyroid hormone, which is very, very important for egg cell maturation. And one might need a little dose of thyroid medication. So very common to prescribe levothyroxine, which is synthetic T4, if TSH is elevated. We also want to look at thyroid antibodies, um, and that is thyroid peroxidase antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies. Because thyroid antibodies can, again, create somewhat of a toxic environment for a developing egg, even if thyroid hormone is normal. And so if I have a patient who has elevated thyroid antibodies, that qualifies as autoimmune thyroiditis, or we might call that Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And that is a clue to me that we can go looking for uh, drivers of a hyperactive immune system. So that might mean we look at intestinal permeability or leaky gut. We might look at dysbiosis, which describes an imbalance in the bacteria in the gut. 
sources of chronic inflammation or chronic infection, right? Periodontal disease is a big one. We already got you to the dentist, so we can rule that one out. Um, environmental exposures, nutritional insufficiencies. When we see these elevated thyroid antibodies, it is an opportunity for us to remain curious and to dig a little deeper. And then if we need to, we can call upon some of our favorite nutrients that can lower thyroid antibodies, things like selenium and myoinositol and vitamin D and all of these things. Now, uh, this question comes up and we just talked about this over on Instagram. If you have elevated thyroid antibodies, but normal thyroid hormone. So you have, let's say, an elevated thyroid peroxidase antibody, but your free T4 and your free T3 are looking good. Levothyroxine or thyroid hormone replacement is probably not going to help you get pregnant, right? Because the thyroid hormone itself is not your issue. The issue is that we have a hyperactive immune response. So levothyroxine is probably not going to help but we can look at those reasons why the immune system is overstimulated and work on that, which likely will help to conceive. Because as we tone the immune system, that's less inflammation. So we maybe will have more regular ovulation or improved endometrial receptivity or all, all kinds of pathways that are associated with chronic inflammation. So just because thyroid hormone is normal, that doesn't mean we should just turn our back to elevated antibodies and pretend that they aren't there. There's some, there's some work that we can do that will likely be helpful. Okay, so now let's talk about a complete blood count or a CBC. This is something that's probably even ordered at your annual wellness exam, and this is what we use to assess your red and white blood cells. So Looking at um, your red blood cells helps us to make some judgments about iron sufficiency. Your white blood cells helps us to see if there's signs of chronic infection going on. So that's pretty standard. A comprehensive metabolic panel. This helps us to assess your kidney function, liver function, electrolyte balance, blood sugar levels. Again, this is pretty standard. Probably one of the things that you'll have ordered at your annual wellness exam. I like to add to this another marker that's called GGT. And historically, I heard through the grapevine <laughs> that GGT used to be part of a comprehensive metabolic panel, but now it's a standalone marker and it it's a, an assessment of our body's total toxic burden. So it's another way that we can evaluate our liver function and look at how our body is engaging with environmental toxicants. So I like to add this one to my preconception panel as well. We also look at a fasting insulin, and we know that increased insulin can contribute to elevated lipids, to chronic inflammation, and changes in body weight. We see lots of problems with ovulation when insulin gets high. And so I like to measure this, especially if you know, it actually surprises me how many how many patients come to me and they have a history of elevated cholesterol and no one has ever looked at a fasting insulin. And we know that insulin can, can increase activity of the cholesterol-making factory in the liver. And so it's really important to measure this in the setting of elevated lipids. We're going to get that on our preconception panel as well. We'll also look at a high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, or an HSCRP. And this is significant for fertility as 
a marker of systemic inflammation. And while it's not directly tied to any fertility processes, we know that chronic inflammation can impact overall health, our cardiovascular system, and can potentially affect our reproductive function. So we think about that endometrial receptivity again, or the likelihood that an embryo can implant into the endometrium, which is that inner lining of the uterus. And if there's lots of inflammation there, our endometrial receptivity can be impacted. So I love to get a a sense of the body's inflammatory load in the preconception timeframe. And there's so much we can do if we find an elevated inflammatory um, marker. We can all kinds of dietary, lifestyle, nutraceutical, botanical interventions. We have so many tools in our toolbox as long as we're looking and we know. Uh, Kind of a more recent marker that I have added is uric acid. Maybe some of you have read the book by Dr. David Perlmutter that's called Drop Acid, and it talks all about uric acid and its implications on a number of body systems But there's some emerging evidence from epidemiological studies that suggest a connection between elevated uric acid and conditions like polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, and endometriosis. And even more, serum uric acid serves as a potential predictor of pregnancy complications and adverse fetal outcomes. So some functional medicine docs, some of my mentors who work with pregnant women or who are OB-GYNs, they are actually using this to predict who might be most at risk for things like preeclampsia. This is very easy to measure. The lab that I'm using, you can get this for $4. So it's very um, approachable and can give us great information. And if this is elevated, we have some dietary and lifestyle interventions that we can utilize to lower it. So I think it's just worthwhile to investigate. A lipid panel, this is related to the fasting insulin and to inflammation, actually. And a lipid panel is really valuable for fertility patients because it obviously assesses our blood lipid levels, which include cholesterol and triglycerides, which do have an impact in reproductive health. We know that healthy lipid uh, healthy lipid levels are crucial for hormone balance, like making our sex hormones, estrogen, testosterone, those are made from a cholesterol backbone. Abnormalities in lipid levels can actually contribute to fertility issues. So if this is another one, you're probably going to get this at your annual wellness exam. So let's take a look. And our lipid panel also helps us to, to make some educated guesses about what's going on with your insulin, what's going on with inflammation, what's going on with your sugar and carbohydrate intake. Are you getting enough fiber? really, really valuable. Vitamin D, great to check on our vitamin D status to help tailor our supplemental dose. And we know that vitamin D is so important for that follicle maturation or egg cell maturation. When I talked earlier about the follicle and how the follicle becomes the corpus luteum and the corpus luteum pumps out progesterone, a healthy follicle really needs adequate vitamin D. And so oftentimes I'll see with patients that have low vitamin D, they uh, they uh, often have issues with progesterone too because that follicle isn't as robust. So then we can work to replete vitamin D and really support the cells of the follicle. 
We also measure ferritin, iron, total iron binding capacity. We know that suboptimal iron levels can affect egg quality and embryo development. Uh, we, we need sufficient iron to have a nice fluffy endometrium for an embryo to implant. A couple Q&As ago on this podcast, we talked about the connection between uh, insufficient iron and recurrent pregnancy loss. So this is so easy to measure. And if we need to replete, we can either do that with food, with supplements. Some people will require uh, an IV infusion, but at least we know when we get those numbers. So we want to check a full iron panel and ferritin. So that is kind of the 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 bones of my preconception panel. And then as needed, we might decide to add some functional testing, some advanced testing, I should say, things like a comprehensive stool analysis. If we want to understand more about what's going on in the gut and look at markers of digestion and absorption, things like pancreatic enzymes and bile salts, and we want to look at the immune system in the gut. We want to look and see what is going on with the gut micro, uh, microbial composition. We want to see if there's pathogens or parasites. All of that can be done on GI testing, which I think is really valuable, especially if you have endometriosis or you have a history of GI symptoms. It can be very insightful. We might look at an adrenal stress profile, so doing four-point salivary cortisol testing where you take a, a salivary sample at four or six points during the day, and that can show us how your cortisol is trending over the course of the day. So we like to see cortisol high in the morning. That's what helps you wake up, feel resilient to take on the day. It falls so that it's at its lowest point in the evening so that you can fall asleep and just feel sleepy at an appropriate time. And when we see imbalances in cortisol, we know that that elevated levels of cortisol can interfere with our gonadotropin hormone. So that's FSH and LH and that communication between the brain and the ovaries. So depending on someone's clinical picture, I might bring on some salivary cortisol testing to see what's going on with their adrenals. We might think about things like micronutrient testing or genetic testing. There's all kinds of advanced functional testing options, and that's really case by case. I'll usually start with some preconception, just the blood work, and then we'll add on the more advanced options. Now, I think most of the people following this podcast are probably already tracking their cycle pretty regularly, but of course, that's part of our preconception plan as well. And we have an upcoming episode where we'll talk about different methods for tracking, but I'll just say that right now I'm using Mira for myself, and it's a tool that I'm really invested in bringing into my practice, the Mira Fertility uh, Monitor. It's urinary wands. You you take a urine sample and it looks at a variety of different hormones and tracks them over the course of your cycle. And it really helps me to make decisions about when we might want to time our blood draws or when we might want to bring on a progesterone. Because remember, if someone is taking a supplemental progesterone, we want to bring that on only after ovulation has already occurred. We never want to take progesterone before we've ovulated because that will feed back to our brain and say to the brain, um, ovulation has already happened or we're already pregnant, so no need to ovulate. 
right? Because progesterone is only made after ovulation. So the brain is only expecting to see progesterone after we have ovulated. So using a a fertility monitor like Mira helps me to confirm that ovulation has happened. So I know when to time my serum progesterone that I want to measure seven days after ovulation. And it helps me to understand when to bring on a um, supplemental, a progesterone, a prescription. We'll talk all about that, but I wanted you to know I'm using Mira in my practice. So these are just a few helpful tips to help you get started with your 2024 preconception plan. Go get your physical exam. Go to the dentist. Start on your prenatal vitamin. My favorite is needed. And then do your preconception lab work. Uh, working, perhaps you'd like to work with a functional medicine doctor like me. If you want to find someone to help you who's in your area, you can go to the Institute for Functional Medicine's website at ifm.org and use the Find a Practitioner tool to locate someone near you. I am wishing you all the most amazing 2024. I hope that your vision board comes true in real life and that all of your hopes and dreams are granted, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you to our show's producer, Paola Martini, and thanks to my friends at Needed for sponsoring today's episode and helping us to spread all of this information to get you pregnant in 2024. I look forward to seeing you all next time. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaliawaddles.com slash podcast where you can find more episodes on all things fertility.